the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. True North AM 1460 FM 101.1. The Answer. Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. or via podcast. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. Shining a light on the leaders and luminaries of today and tomorrow. You're listening to True North with your host, Dirk Hobbs. All right, good Saturday morning, Southern Colorado. It is February 24th. You're listening to True North. It is 8 o'clock in the morning you're listening to that song you know what time it is it is time for a hot cup of coffee look out your window or go for a walk uh with your dogs with your spouse with your kids get out there it's a cool but gorgeous morning here in southern colorado and we're glad you're with us and uh we got a great guest in the studio today uh her name is donna carlson she's written a book and we're gonna do a deep dive into uh <laughs> This is going to be fun, folks. You're going to want to stick around and listen to this. Uh, she's written a great, great book called Crazy As Usual. And uh, if you want to start fishing around online for it now, go to crazyasusual.com. It's written by Donna Carlson. But we're going to get to her in just a moment. In the meantime, I want to encourage our listeners to go out there to coloradomediagroup.com forward slash subscribe and pick up a copy of North. We have an amazing cover this Month We've got uh, Lonnie Kramer, who is the chief executive officer and president of UC Health for Southern Colorado. And uh, he was very candid with us. He gave us a great insights into his journey as the chief executive and what health systems are facing day in and day out. You know, it's an ever, ever suppressive market, the healthcare industry, because they are being asked to do more with less every single day. And um, it's quite phenomenal. And obviously that trickles down into a lot of facets of our life. But, you know, the good news is um, Lonnie and his team, the providers uh, throughout the region, no matter what health system they're associated with, they are in it to win it for you. Uh, I was in that business for five years, so I know very passionate about um, developing healthy patients, well patients. Um, And they are definitely committed to that. It sometimes gets lost in translation because of all the bureaucracy and the nonsense that surrounds um, that industry. Uh, But the individual contributors are making a difference. And I want to encourage you to read that story and others. Marisa Wigglesworth, who runs the United States Olympic and Paralympic Museum, she's got some incredible data on the performance of our local museum here. You know, this, this is one of the great sports museums in the country, you know, um, you got Hall of Fames in Canton uh, for the Football Hall of Fame. You've got Baseball Hall of Fame. You've got all kinds of different sporting museums around the country. We have, 
the United States Olympic and Paralympic Museum. And so there's a bunch of new stories that are going to be unfolding in Paris this summer. And uh, if you've listened to True North for any length of time, you know we've had about a half a dozen uh, Olympians and Olympic hopefuls here on the on the program. And they are showcasing uh, their desire to bring home uh, Olympic gold uh, if, if fate has anything to do with it. So, But certainly um, an amazing town. We live in Olympic City, USA. Uh, no other community in the world has that moniker. No other community in the nation has that moniker of Olympic City, USA. We actually have permission to say that from the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee. So uh, obviously we have other great assets here. We have the NGBs, the training center, and it's it's just a great sporting community. It's very active and, um, you know, we have a lot going on down here. So, uh, but we also interview great people who are making tremendous contributions in their lane in life. And uh, today is no exception. Uh, I met this uh, young lady about a year ago. There you are. Thanks for calling me young. You're very welcome. I say it to myself every day, Donna, because <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're the same vintage. Uh, won't go there. Uh, It's not polite, right? So anyway, uh, Donna Carlson is sitting across the board from me this morning, and she has written a very fun book uh, and a very insightful book. Um, And we're going to get to know her journey here. Donna, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Dirk. Glad you're here. Um, We met about a year and a half, maybe a year and a half ago. Uh, You were uh, leading uh, some efforts at the chamber and EDC and and I uh, got to know you there, and I'm glad we've stayed in touch. Uh, since that time, you have written a book. That's true. And um, well, let's get to know you a little bit. So where are you from? You know, name, rank, serial number, the whole nine. Well, you heard you heard in my voice there's a little Texas in there. I did. And it, it doesn't come out until somebody mentions Texas, and then it just, you, it just comes out. <laughs> and I've lived everywhere in Texas, but I was born in San Antonio. Um, spent most of my life in Austin, high school and college there. Great town. But um, my dad flew for the governor. We had to move around a little bit. So I've lived way out west. I've lived in Houston. I've lived in Dallas. Mm-hmm. But Austin's pretty, pretty much what I call home. When did you get here? Well, I got here by virtue of a marriage proposal in 1994. Okay. I had met my husband in California because uh, a job took me out there. And um, the... Uh, Proposal came with a job transfer with Hewlett Packard. So we moved to Colorado in 1994, and this is where our kids were born mostly. We had one in, in Texas because uh, we had a walk in the wilderness for about two and a half years when he got a job offer there. And then he said, Can we please move back to Colorado? I'm going to melt. <laughs> <laughs> so he was with HP. Yeah. Okay. And, and what's your uh, professional background? You know, I I met him because I was in high-tech PR. Um, That's what I did starting out in Silicon Valley. And I did high-tech PR and market research for about 20 years before I um, kind of ventured into the nonprofit world up here in Colorado. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, then it's it turned into something of a hybrid because the more I've been working in business development, helping um, increase membership for chambers of commerce and things like that. Um, I realize the thing I do best is cultivate connections between people. Mm-hmm. 
So now I do CRM consulting. Okay. I, I get to be a data geek, and that makes me so happy because I, huh? I love data. I love <laughs> databases. I love to help people make the most of that. So it's it's a lot of fun for me. Are you still doing that professionally now? Yeah, that's what my, my real day, day job, job is. is. Yeah, okay. I mean, one day, can I make money writing a book? Uh, they say that that's possible. They say that not you shouldn't expect it, the first book. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've put it out there, so you, you would know. So your past book number one, is there book number two? I'm working on it. Okay, very good. I actually have an outline for the second and the third and then a fiction series. Okay, very good. I'll be busy. Do you like it? Do you enjoy the process of writing? I've always been a writer. Okay. That is what I am in my core. I just never figured out how to actually make a living doing it. And I think one day it'll come. Mm -hmm. But uh, the words are in there and the stories are in there and I collect stories in my head. And I just know it's because... um, Real transformation happens through story, not through data. I mean, yeah. even the the nonfiction book that I wrote has a fictional conversation between two women because I think that's how we learn. Yeah. We have to see ourselves in someone's story. Well, certainly we do. I appreciate that very much. Um, now, do you have a setting that you create uh, to to create the perfect writing environment? Oh, for my writing environment? Or are you kind of go to the mountain and then come back down? And- well, it's interesting. A lot of my writing I did in the mountains. Okay. I went to this place in Divide, a very quiet place. It's a silent retreat, so no one's going to try to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And I would spend all day writing. I'd take a break for lunch, but spend all day writing. And, um, yeah, I do take breaks to go places where I can be alone because I need that um, undisturbed time. Mm-hmm. Um, I can do a little filler writing at home, but when my husband comes in to ask me a question or to help me with the family (laughs) business question, you know, I'm like, uh, I can't focus. I'm done. I'm done. No, I get it. You know, creating the perfect writing environment at home is next to impossible. If Mm -hmm. you've got kids and and, and a spouse, you do have to escape. It's true. Yeah, it's smart. So were you, uh, I mean, did it come pretty naturally to you, Uh, the, the, the actual art of writing a thought versus what ends up being printed on the page are sometimes two very different things. Well, you're in journalism, Dirk, so you understand. When I was in Journalism 101 and we had to write a feature article, we would bring it to class and the professor didn't really care what we wrote. He said, now cut it in half. Yeah. So we'd cut it in half and like work and work and work on cutting that word count down. Mm -hmm. And then we'd bring it back and say, now cut it again. Your word count just got cut. You need the most essential elements of the story at the top. That has impacted me my entire life. My my degree in college was a bachelor in journalism, and I barely worked in journalism. Uh, but that lesson has stayed with me throughout my entire career. The efficiency of words. Mm-hmm. There you go. Well, and it's harder to use fewer words than mm-hmm. to use more. It is, but we've also become a culture that is reckless with our language. Do you agree? Yes, it's so true. Yeah. Because we don't really pay attention to the meaning of words. We've often, you know, created these almost anecdotal cultural vernacular that has distorted our language and meaning. Isn't it true? Do you hear yourself say something and realize, I don't really know the origin of the meaning of that. (laughs) A lot. It it drives me nuts. And my daughter and I, I have three daughters, but my eldest daughter and I go back and forth with how people are sloppy with their language. Yes. It's kind of hilarious because we'll like, can you believe, you know, she got a, 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 
an invitation to a wedding shower that said, you're invited, Y-O-U-R. <laughs> and I want to say, well, my invited what? <laughs> invited what? She has a yes. baseball cap that has Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. <laughs> oh, bless her heart. Yeah, yeah, words are important. How old are the gals? The gals are starting at the top, 26, 23. The first two are fully act- actualized adults. And 20. Okay. She's an adult, but she's still in college, she's still it. figuring it out. All right. So two off the payroll, one to go? Two off the payroll, one to go. <laughs> Hanging out with Donna Carlson, author of Crazy As Usual. You can find it at crazyasusual.com. So while we're talking to the author, you can go out there and peruse that book. Buy it. Why not? It's a good read. And uh, we're going to have some fun unpacking how she got there and uh, what actually triggered this. The, the, what was the impetus of this particular project for Donna? So... Glad you're here. Thanks, sir. Yeah. So stick around with us, folks. We're back in a few minutes with True North. I got a nightmare phone call that no parent wants to receive. Someone hit me going 60 miles an hour. Dr. Ramos uh, came highly recommended. When I showed him the x-rays, he immediately knew exactly what was wrong. We've had a tremendous experience with Ramos Law. Really, I could not be happier. Having the car accident was an accident. Finding Ramos Law was no accident. Injured in a car accident? Ramos Law can help. RamosLaw.com. Booth Barn Hall, your gateway to great entertainment. Bringing you world-class concerts and events all year round. Plus, looking for a venue for your next event? Check out BoothBarnHall.com. Booth Barn Hall, your gateway to great entertainment. See you at the show. All right, we're back here. Second quarter, True North. I'm your host, Dirk Hobbs. Hey, quick shout-out to Colorado Springs Orthopedic Group. Thanks for underwriting this program because we get to meet cool people like Donna Carlson, who is uh, an amazing author, a book called Crazy as Usual. Find it on the web at crazyasusual.com. And uh, we're going to get to, we're going to start to do a deeper dive into this book. So, Donna, welcome to the program. Thanks, Dirk. Thanks for calling me amazing. Uh, Hey, you are amazing. And that Texas straw is coming out hard. You did it. It was your fault. That is awesome. So don't don't say Scotland or I'll start going down. I start that talking road. about Scotland. That's a very different thing. Oh no 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 no. Okay, here we go. You're going to hear it, folks. And I'm sorry. I apologize in advance. You're probably I'm going to drop some uh, Scottish accent on you here in a moment. So anyway, let's get to the real point. We're here. Donna's written this great book, and uh, it's called Crazy as Usual. And what was the impetus of this book? Where did it start for you? Well, it really started years ago. I knew I was going to write this book because um, my mother ended her life when um, she was 58 years old, which I almost am. We're not talking about that. But no, I I knew (laughs) that uh, she had tremendous potential in her that was never tapped. Mm. She didn't know how to manage the monkeys in her head. Those monkeys that told her you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you were ruined as a child. Things happened to her. She had life trauma. And the only way she knew how to handle it was Jack Daniels and Jim Beam. And when she took her life, I just said, darn it. Mm -hmm. There's so much that she could have done. And this is why I I wrote this book to really talk about um, mental health, managing those monkeys, and what it looks like for professional women, because we don't have a lot written for women in the workplace. Um, most of those books are talking about how awesome you already are and not talking about the monkeys that are accusing you of the things that you could do better. Let me ask you something right there, because there's a great deal. You're absolutely right. There's a great deal of content out there. 
that almost seeks to superficially, you know, confirm you. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't necessarily get to the root of who we are. We're, we're broken, messed up people sometimes. Absolutely. Right. All of us are. Absolutely. I don't care where you come from, what what ideology spectrum, what whatever doesn't matter. We all come to the table with some baggage. Yeah. And it just seems like, you know, whether it's Mel Robbins podcast or Tony Robbins, if your last name is Robbins, you're in the business. You're in the business. Pumping people up. I mean, these are great people. Don't get me wrong. And there's a lot of value in that message. But it almost seems like an overcorrection, Donna, and you may have a different opinion, that there seems to be this artificial infusion of self-worth. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, am, am I on target or am I missing it? In your well, and, and that's that is the problem, really, for a lot of people who are trying to figure out the monkeys. Let's just call them for what they are. They they whisper these lies to us. And I love what Mel Robbins is doing. Mm-hmm. I love Tony Robbins provides really great tools. Mm-hmm. Ed Milet. I could just yeah. n- name the all my favorites. Yeah. And they're really good at pumping you full of information. But um I think the trend I'm seeing, and I see Ed doing this, I see some others starting to just be really uh, transparent with that vulnerability, mm-hmm. that part of us that is going, oh, I don't know if I if I really do have it all together. Mm-hmm. And it, Ed Milet says it all the time. I mean, he's a multimillionaire, and he's like, I still struggle with self-worth. Sure. And the reason I think the world needed the book and the reason why I, I think it, it never felt finished until I finally uh, finished it last year is because I kept thinking I needed to be something special to make someone want to read my book, that I needed to be already famous or accomplished in some way. Very good. And until I recognize that I'm worthy just like I am today, mm-hmm. there's there's no reason that the world needs just one more book, one more set of stories. But what I found is the the people who are appreciating this book the most are those who say thank you for mm-hmm. calling out these things that have always been taboo subjects in the workplace and maybe shouldn't be a subject in the workplace. But I need someone to talk to. Well, and you you are keen to kind of frame that as normalizing the discussion around mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, I I appreciate that. Uh, you know, we have behavioral health issues in our family. Uh, we come from. Uh, some some mental health issues uh, going back generations yeah. in, our, in our family. And I think there definitely is chemistry involved and there is, you know, situations that uh, present that embellish that, that amplify uh, some of the things that we're predispositioned to have. And for some reason, as it relates to mental health in particular, we've almost culturally been ashamed to discuss any weakness. Absolutely. Well, like I said my mother was in and out of mental health institutions when I was a child, mm-hmm. but we didn't talk about that. Yeah, that we, wasn't polite conversation. Oh, right? no, yeah. you would never yeah. admit that your mother was in a mental health institution. Mm-hmm. Yet somehow I think it was. I don't know how, but somehow the community came into awareness because I went from being a normal, playful included kid on the playground to be the one that no one invited over. (laughs) And I think it's because of some of the awful things that happened in my house, drunken rage. And I wasn't invited to birthday parties. I wasn't invited to play on the playground. It messed with me. Mm -hmm. And those origin issues, you think, well, good. You made it out of that. You're good now. Well, you know what? It takes time for your brain to reprogram those patterns. 
Yeah. And a lot of us wonder, we get into the workplace and we wonder, why is it that I am confident enough to get this position, to sell myself into this role, and then I sabotage it every time? <laughs> it's a self-worth issue. Yeah. And if we don't learn to to call it for what it is and to to name it and rewrite it, we will continue in the same pattern forever. And that's why I decided this book needed to happen. These honest stories need to come out because it's no longer, no longer about me trying to protect some image of who I am. I finally decided who I am is who I am. And even at my age, maybe I'll wear a bikini again. I'm just not (laughs) going to be defined by what people think it's supposed to be. And I did exactly that in the early years of our marriage. I would put a lot of pressure on myself to create a certain um, image for our house. I wanted our house to be immaculate all the time. Mm -hmm. I wanted my kids to be immaculate, to be polite, to be always saying please and thank you. And you know what? My kids were invited to everything because they were so polite. So I did them a favor in teaching them that. Of course. But my husband would ask me, what do you think real life is? I mean, do you... Do you think we're supposed to be like, leave it to Beaver? And I'm like, well, (laughs) for a kid who grew up in an alcoholic home with no picture, no blueprint. Yeah. Leave it to Beaver, the Brady Bunch. You know, I was defining my sense of normal based on what I saw because I didn't have any other blueprint. Mm -hmm. And I think um, it's it's made for a happier family in my family. But somebody once told me, Donna, even your kids are going to need therapy one day. So stop taking responsibility. (laughs) Yeah, because they're going to bump into the world Yeah, and everything that's in it. Yeah, so we try to clean up the mess that we've inherited. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Um, we also have to have grace and compassion on ourselves to say, I'm in process, mm-hmm. not finished yet. The American culture doesn't seem to have a lot of tolerance for that, that right. we're in process. Mm-hmm. Do they? Well, in all of those success strategists that you mentioned earlier, present a picture of what we should feel like. But I can tell myself I'm worthy all the time, but if I don't feel it inside, yeah. it is not going to come out in my life. Yeah. So I can't just memorize a mantra. Yeah. I've got to learn how to redefine my own sense of worthiness and, and, and find it, like truly root it. How much of this, in your estimation, uh, and we'll get to the tenets of your book here in a minute, but um, everybody wants to find something to blame. Mm. For their problems, yeah. Um, there, you, you talk about origin story. So there is a healthy recognition from of that from which I started, right? Right. But then there comes, or do you believe this? Does there come a point where you say, "Okay, enough of that. I own it now." Absolutely. Unpack that. You know the the greatest <clears throat> point in my life of of revelation in my journey of healing from childhood trauma rejection was when I realized that I have to take responsibility for what's mine to own. I don't need to take responsibility for the harm that's been to me. Mm -hmm. That was just a broken world. It was done. Right. But I need to ask forgiveness or give forgiveness for my own healing. Mm -hmm. And I need to take responsibility for my part. And I have done that. And I even went back in my own journaling process to go through all of these rejections, um, whether it was in a workplace or a friend that has unfriended me. I go back and take a look at what was mine to own here so I can take responsibility. And maybe I can't salvage that, but I can salvage the future. 
I can act differently. I can respond with my full prefrontal cortex and mm-hmm. get that amygdala under control. Hmm. Yeah. That, that's pretty powerful. The monkey brain. The monkey brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is the subtitle of your book as well. Uh, Taming the Monkeys? Tell me. Uh, uh, mastering the Mental Monkeys so you can set your brilliance free. That's what it is. All right. We're hanging out with Donna Carlson. She is author of Crazy As Usual. Uh, you can find it at crazyasusual.com. She's also uh, a CRM consultant. Uh, so if you're in the data realm and need a little help with that, actually, we do uh, need some help with that. So um, where can we get a hold of you besides your website? Do you have a specific email that you drive people to or is it just go to the website well, and we'll we'll meet? If you're crazy, Donna at crazyasusual.com is my email address mm-hmm. or Crazy as usual with Donna on Instagram. But if you need CRM help, I also have Donna Carlson, CXO.com. <laughs> okay. Well, we threw it all out there for you, folks. Take take what you like. All right. We're back here in a moment with Donna Carlson, author of Crazy as Usual, in one more. The news and events that matter to you. AM 1460 and FM 101.1. The answer. All right, we're back here, second half, True North. I'm your host, Dirk Hobbs. We're hanging out with Donna Carlson, who is crazy as you. Uh, that's a book she's written, and it's done very well. And i got to tell you, folks, you know, uh, the mental health discussion in this country, I think, is moving ever further away each day from that taboo conversation into a more normalized discussion around mental health. Because guess what? We all have baggage we all have issues and i think it's disingenuine to say that we don't that we have it all together in this mirage that we're painting for people that our lives are under control our kids are perfectly behaved our finances are in line blah 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 i mean you're you're going to drive yourself into the ground sooner than you should have been there If we don't come to terms with how to discuss this with the appropriate people at the appropriate time, of course, but uh, being able to have candid and honest conversations uh, with your family, with your spouse, with friends, key friends, and even employers, um, but certainly among one another in our small group and social discussions um, to get off this um, grand illusion that we have to impress other people. Uh, I think some of that comes with age, Donna. Well, I don't. You think we grow, we grow into this state of mind where we don't care so much what people think. Yeah, you need to care. I have arrived there a little bit, <laughs> but I, I love what you said. We're all a little bit messed up, and it's the normal ones we have to worry about because if somebody looks too put together, too perfect, yeah, I wonder what are they hiding. Yeah, and honestly, after. The past couple decades of just watching really great people fall, it has taken me to a place that I hate to say, I hate to admit. I'll look at someone who seems to have it all together and I'll think, when are they going to fall? Yeah, it's coming down. When are they going to mess up? Mm. So I try not to put people on a pedestal, and that includes me. I I just try to let (laughs) people see how straight up crazy I am. (laughs) And, And, you know, folks, take that with a grain of salt because we all are. Um, we're all little, you know, we're all a little crazy at times. And, uh, I, I don't think there's a whole lot to be gained by pretending we're not, uh, you brought up an expression, uh, before we began this conversation that's, it's stuck with me. It says be women in particular, I think, uh, parenthetically, um, 
being extraordinary to the point of self-harm. Yeah. That's powerful. Um, for, I'm just going to cut you loose. Unpack that for us and, and what that means in your paradigm and what you might propose is the salve to that. Well, it's our commitment to being extraordinary that leads us to work in service to that image, mm-hmm. even at a great personal cost. It has cost us marriages. It has cost us relationships with our kids. It's cost us our health in some cases. And when we work so hard, I talked to somebody the other day who said she's used to working 80 or 90 hour weeks. And I said, is that sustainable? Why? Yeah. And she said, no. I said, I think it is time that we make sure that people understand our employers, our families, the people we make commitments to that I'm committed to excellence. But that means I'm committed to excellence in my whole life. And that means when I go home, I'm home. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be texting me throughout my dinner with my husband, I am going to ignore that. I'm home with my husband right now. And Boundaries. if that's offensive to you, mm-hmm. maybe I'm not the right person to be here. Yeah. We have to draw boundaries. Mm-hmm. And and it's that, that commitment to extraordinary that keeps us focused on what we think we need to be in, in order to get what? More money? Approval? And I kind of, I stole that that term from the Barbie movie, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, be, and if you haven't heard the Barbie monologue, you don't need to see the movie to look up the Barbie monologue. It was pretty shocking to, to just think about the things that we think we need to be in order to be accepted. And if, if you're like me and you grew up without parents, without the love and direction of sober parents, there's no one telling you that you're okay. There's no one saying that you're good just like you are. And you're spending your whole life trying to get one more compliment, one more um, indication that you're of approval or, or worth. And the reason we're committed to extraordinary is because we just don't understand who we are and how awesome we are just, just the way that we're made. Mm-hmm. And once the the tricky part of that is once we figure that out, then we're on a success path. And who knew that you didn't have to keep pretending to be something that you're not, that you can actually be who you are and be your most successful self. So reconcile the balance or, or try to articulate the balance between going into work and giving your, your personal best, right? Given, given your employer a good day's work. And being able to shut it down uh, and, and decompress and be you, <laughs> right? Because there's there's a version of us that goes to work. Are, are you okay with that? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, we're on, so to speak, right? And and there's a a responsibility there. Okay. We have to put on the work, the professionalism. Yes, we have to. We have to pull that up. That doesn't mean that our authenticity can't show through Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that we need to be fake Mm -hmm. in order to be successful at work it does mean that we need to find a safe way to take whatever is bothering us and i'm i'm putting my hands to my head to imagine taking something out of my brain and setting it on a shelf okay and what i would like to propose for the workplace scenarios it's easier to do that if you have the permission to say hey here's what's going on there's this mental health issue right now in my house that makes home not a happy place. Mm-hmm. And I need to shift gears when I come in. It just makes me feel better to be able to say that. 
So yeah. I can set that aside, stick it on a shelf. I can focus on work. But I also want you to know if at some moment I snap, mm-hmm. I might go for a walk. Mm-hmm. I need to go clear my head and I just need I just need some acceptance. Right. Life's going on. Yeah, there's life going on. And if you can just just see it and say, I got this, go take a break. So strike a balance between that uh, self-ownership, I'll put a little moniker on it like that, versus what some might perceive as being a generation of people that are just over-communicating everything they feel mm-hmm. and think. Right. Right? Because that's probably not healthy either. Exactly. I, I run a couple of CEO roundtables. This, this mm. comes up frequently, and it's it's kind of a generational thing. Mm. This commitment to being whole and present also gives us, and I say by us, I mean this emerging generation who wants to do life differently. Mm-hmm. Maybe they never saw their parents because they worked 80 or 90 hours a <laughs> That's week. That's true. Yeah. Maybe they want to do it differently when they graduate from school or when they start their careers. But they need to understand that there are boundaries. And we've talked about this among CEOs. What is the best way to manage that in the workplace? And the best advice that I've heard is to take it back to, am I giving you the tools you need to do your job today? And as long as you have those tools, let's, let's, let's focus on the business that we're here to do. And where I see any mental health assistance coming into play in the workplace is when you have a really awesome human being, a really extraordinary performer who has hit a wall for some reason. And you need to say, I'd like to introduce you to some 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 trusted resources. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, EAP alone is not the only way. It's one way. That's right. Sometimes we need quicker access to resources. And this is why I think it's important to equip small business with a, a list of qualified resources so that they know how they can help that employee to stay awesome. Because mm-hmm. I want to keep you. I don't want to retrain you. Right. I don't want to retrain your job. Mm-hmm. I want to keep you. And if that means that I can help you to figure out a path so you can bring your whole self back on Monday, I'm going to do what I can to help you get there. Yep. And I want to come full circle to the the database that you're building with those mental health assets uh, that employers can use, individuals can use. Let me ask you this. Uh, when you're speaking to those CEOs and those directors of other programs, um, because you do professional speaking as well. Um, do you ever have the conversation about the demands that today's workforce, well, well, today's industry feels? It seems to me that in the American paradigm, the heart, you know, I mean, what's the first thing you say? Hey, John, how you doing? Uh, well, I'm busy. <laughs> you know, busy seems to be this badge of honor. Yeah, and busy rhymes with dizzy, doesn't it? <laughs> it sure does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm not a huge fan of being busy all the time because I'm tired. Yeah, all the time now. Right. Um. So, how, how, do you ever get into the discussion that uh, we don't mean we don't need to babysit our employees, but we do need to help them, allow them to be human. Exactly. <laughs> well, and equip them. Think about yeah. the fact if you grew up with a healthy foundation at home, you can't imagine what it's like for someone to be alone in the world. That's right. You have no idea when this person no context comes to work every day trying to figure out, I hope I do it right. I hope I don't screw up because they don't know what normal looks like. Mm. And they can be extraordinary, but they can hit a wall. And are we just going to say, well, there goes another one. I guess I'll have to hire somebody else. 
Or can we say, hey, um, I think you might want to check out this list of resources and see if we can't get your awesome back. Yeah. Why not? How many people wish an employer came to them and said that exact same thing? You can, uh, well, I'm not going to name names, but I've talked to a lot of them. Yeah. And uh, workplaces are changing. It's now a part of employee attraction to have a good wellness program. Uh, People are starting to look for companies that have a very um, whole, holistic culture. A culture that embraces people as assets, and I don't want to transactionalize that word. You are not an asset, but yeah, your people are your greatest asset. Are you really going to just work them until they fall down? Yeah. Are you going to build them up? Good place to stop. We're back with Donna Carlson. We're going to get into this database that she's building, as well as some of the tenants that guided her through this first book. Donna Carlson, author of Crazy as Usual, back in a moment. One critical fact that needs to be established is that your injuries were caused by the accident incident you were involved in. For your case to have merit, it must be made clear that had you not been in the crash in the first place, you wouldn't have been hurt. This is one of the most important steps in the entire process, and leaving it to anyone but an expert is a serious mistake. Ramos Law, doctor, lawyer, partner, combining medical and legal knowledge for better outcomes for you. All right, we're back here in the fourth quarter, September. Tw- September. It is February, folks. I don't know where I came up with September. Good night. That's too early for me. All right, well, it is 845. It is the 24th of February. You are listening to True North, and uh, we appreciate you being here. Hopefully you're enjoying this conversation with author Donna Carlson. Uh, she's also a database, self-acclaimed database geek. Uh, she loves data, and she loves to be able to help people find resources in town. Uh, that are accessible through your employer as well as through individual realms in your journey as we all start to come to terms with the fact that we're all human and uh, not everything's always going great. Uh, So a good life sometimes means that we have tough times and things are broken and messy in our world, and that's okay. Uh, The book is called Crazy as Usual, the subtitle Master Your Mental Monkeys and Set Your Brilliance Free. Love that subtitle. Very well done. Donna, welcome. Thanks very much. Uh, Glad you're here. And, you know, uh, a lot of people, I would imagine, especially your your, uh, female targeted audience can relate to the language that you're using in particular. So what what was the impetus of you writing this book? What happened? Well, it all started really um, during budget season, a few about um, October of 22, I guess. and. I was just stretched thin. Mm-hmm. I was stretched thin at work. I was short a few people. I had just hired a few people, but my, my team was still ramping up, and I was multitasking, and it was budget season, so that means hours and hours spent um, putting that together. And at the same time, I had a few crises going on at home. So home was like a whole new set of circumstances. It wasn't a restful place to go. Mm-hmm. It was, okay. Yeah. Strap on the <laughs> strap it on. Yep. And uh so it's hard. So it was really hard to find that place of rest. Mm. And sometimes I couldn't sleep because the burdens of both worlds were really taxing. And you know, one day I came out of my um colleague's office and was still, you know how you walk out and you're still looking over your shoulder before you turn sure. to go. I turned and ran flat into a wall. Oh. Literally. Literally. Okay. And that was a moment when I realized 
I have totally neglected self-care. I have a good system for keeping myself primed and I let that go because I just was trying to accomplish all these things. And then when I couldn't sleep at night, I'd let myself sleep in in the morning and then I wouldn't do my workout. And mm. so it just, it just perpetuated. And then in the wonderful world of the um, chamber, we're at events all the time. I'm overeating and over drinking mm-hmm. <laughs> really. And I realized my body was given out. Yeah. And you're I was on all the time. So tired. Yeah. I was so tired. Um, but you know, in, in any situation, there are two things here. I wanted to learn how to identify other people at risk. So when a colleague walks into the wall, instead of trying to laugh and make her feel better about it, I want to go in her office and say, how are you doing? Yeah. Is there anything I can do to help? Is there, or is talking about it just going to help you to get it off your chest? Um, somebody did walk in my office one day and said, it looks like you're having a hard time with your eyes do you need glasses and really what was happening was that i was so tired that i had this perpetual headache and so you know when we see someone at risk and we don't really know what to say we just hope that somehow things are going to get better and then when they leave we're like yeah i saw it coming what if we could just switch that yeah what if we could say hey i i see you okay and i um I know your awesome is in there somewhere, but you seem tired. What do we need to do to equip you? Yeah. So you took the opportunity to create this conversation between two young women, a young executive and a retired CEO. Yeah. As they meet on Fridays at five to share life challenges. Um, that was kind of the, the setting that you've created. Uh-huh. Yeah. Very, very well done. Um, how's been the reception of the book? And did the formula work the way you wanted it to? I was worried about this because my own sister read it and said, uh, I think you should just write a memoir, Donna. <laughs> and I went, well, it's too okay. late. I've already written the book. <laughs> yeah, thanks. But I held firm because the reason I created this conversation is honestly because a woman did come up to me when I was sitting in a coffee shop, cafe outside. She hitched her bike to the gate right in front of where I was sitting and said, what are you doing drinking coffee at five o'clock on a Friday? You should be in here drinking beer with me. All right. And I never saw that woman again, but I said, I want to be like you when I grow up. (laughs) And I said, this is too rich not to share this um, young up and coming executive woman addicted to awesome about to go to work meeting at night Hmm. while her kids are at home with dad. She's missing out on life. And maybe for one more big sale, that's that's a good thing. But when does that stop? When do we where where do we draw those boundaries? Interesting. And can you perpetuate that life if it's good for you and good for everyone involved without the feeling of guilt that you're not at home with kids right now? Right. Because there's nothing wrong when you have that agreement with your spouse. That's fantastic. I love the way people are reinventing family the way it's done these days. It's fun to watch. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we also have to ask ourselves, is this what I want? Am I going to regret this? And so I got to live out all of um, my future fantasies and past mistakes through these two um, women and tell many stories, not just mine, but the stories of women I've collected over the years. And these are based on characters you know in the well, world. Well, these, these yeah. characters are based on women I've known. Yeah. Sure. And... Um, the story that Liv tells about the failure of her marriage, 
uh, is a necessary story to tell because how many of us have lost something that's precious to us because we were so committed to this plan. And then before we realize it, we've lost all these things, whether it's marriage or relationships. Yeah. And we're wondering, what did I? That was the cost. Yeah. yeah. What What really is important here? Am <laughs> I really focused on what's important or am I just so focused on this goal on that next job or promotion or paycheck or commission that I forgot what's important to me? The most fulfilling things in life, family, you know, good health, well, Those things, you know, health is helpful. <laughs> health is very helpful because if you're sick, you know, you're fighting that front as well. Yeah. Uh, I know you're very passionate about marrying your professional skill set with this other universe that you've created out yeah. here. Um, help us understand that and what we can do to get those assets. I have been a data geek my entire life. Every job I've ever had, I'm like, I'll manage the database. I'm a, I love to collect data. This didn't make sense to me until I took the strength finders assessment and found out that input was num- my number one strength, which means I am compelled to collect information, but not just to hoard it, but mm. share it with others. Right on. And so in this process of writing the book and starting these mental health conversations, I've been hosting quarterly um, mental health at work forums with the business community. I've been hosting monthly mental health get togethers called Fridays at five, kind of like Liv and Jane do in the book. We're doing it at a local beer place in town. And um, what I'm finding in these, these uh, two things that have surfaced in these conversations, people need someone to talk to and businesses that don't have the um, human resource bench strength to put together a program need to at least know where I have a good qualified list of service providers. Okay. It doesn't exist anywhere. There's no one willing to keep it going. And I actually found a way to do that for a relatively small amount of money. And I think it can serve the entire community, first in mental health and wellness. But beyond that, I think there are a number of ways that we can serve the business community by creating this kind of uh, referral network approach to um, keeping commerce in the springs. Do you agree with the sentiment that men tend to isolate, right? Women tend to talk, but they don't always talk about the right things. True. Okay. Um, A lot of times it's kind of competitive, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe even sniping at times. Uh, Whereas men just tend to island unto themselves, isolate. Um, You know, I'm in a men's group here in town and we talk about this a little bit and how healthy it is just to be in the room and hear other people going through the same things in different ways. Absolutely. You know, their own version of that brand of problem. And it is cathartic. there's actual research to back that up. Mm-hmm. And I wonder for those men who isolate and don't have a safe place to talk about what's going on, what's the impact in your body? Yeah. I mean, think about the Hoarding statistics. The yeah. What is stress doing yeah. in your body? It might manifest in your nervous system. It might manifest in your heart. It might manifest in your gut. Yep. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to take root somewhere. If you're not going to let it out of your mouth, <laughs> it's going to it's going to take root somewhere or the gym. <laughs> well, in the gym is a I mean that's one way. That's of, one way, of, but but talking, we're we're communicative species. We are made for relationship. Yeah. And if we don't have those conversations, the thing is, we know we're made for relationship. What happens is that in our stress, that monkey section of the brain, the amygdala goes crazy and sometimes instead of responding to a friend or, or a spouse, or a coworker in a way that says, okay, I get that we're all broken human beings. And, you know, if we respond in stress to stress, 
all we get is conflagration. <laughs> but if we can learn how to harness that, and that's what one of the things that led to this database. I met a woman who has an amazing process in neurofeedback. Mm-hmm. And um, she just doesn't know how to get that into the business community. And I said, okay, well, I'll do that. You keep doing what you do. Let me bring a list of people like you to the business community so they know how to get high performance out of all their Where people. can I find that? Uh, that, that database. Uh, well, um, stay in touch with Donna Carlson, CXO.com. Okay. Um, I'm going to be marketing versions of the Colorado Springs Marketplace on that website as I build the database. Right now, I'm just looking for um, sponsors to help me get the official database going. Okay. So we're just in the ramp period. Very good. Well, for starters, you can find her online at crazyasusual.com. That's the name of the book. Master your mental monkeys and set your brilliance free. You can reach Donna at Donna at crazyasusual.com if you want to have a conversation about that database and potentially sponsoring it or being a part of it. That would be great. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Dirk. Really fun. We're here. And I feel like we just scratched the surface. Uh, You know, it takes a little while to warm up and then we get into the meat of it and it's time to go. But uh, anyway, thanks for being here. Thank you for listening. Uh, Appreciate all of you out there in Southern Colorado listening to True North. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week with another great guest. Take care. You've been tuned in to True North. Till next time. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.